joining us once again here for the news briefing in the studios. Ha Mi Sorang, good morning to you. Good morning, Henry. We are going to begin with another coronavirus update uh, here in Korea. What are the latest numbers? Well, the numbers for local transmissions, especially those within the greater Seoul area, is continuing to climb. The Korea Centers for Disease Control and Prevention yesterday confirmed 38 new cases, raising the country's total coronavirus caseload to 11,852. Now, of these 38 new cases, 35 were local transmissions. If we have a look at infection trends in the previous two weeks, Mm -hmm. a total of 628 patients have been confirmed coronavirus positive. What's most worrying is that the transmission route of roughly 8.9% of these new cases cannot be established. This is above that 5% threshold the government set as a target when it switched to the more relaxed everyday life quarantine. Meanwhile, 97% of the 545 local infections that occurred in the previous two weeks occurred in the Greater Seoul area. And health officials and Seoul, Incheon and Gyeonggi province officials say that at least 40 new new cases were reported yesterday alone after the 10 a.m. KCDC announcement. So it does look like uh, the trend is going in the wrong direction mm-hmm. here, and especially in the Seoul metropolitan area, it's really difficult to get a handle on uh, where these transmissions are coming from. As you say, 8.9%. Uh, right now, we can't establish uh, the actual route of uh, transmission. So then the worry and the concern here is, uh, I believe when there was the announcement to shift to uh, from, from the uh, stay-at-home orders mm-hmm. to a, an everyday life quarantine uh, scheme, that uh, reasonable voices, uh, some experts were actually saying that uh, perhaps this was a little too early right. uh, for the change to occur and that uh, there would be sporadic cluster infections that uh, uh, would ensue and uh, that has now uh, been the case. Some of the questions as to why they uh, decided on the timing of the uh, everyday life uh, quarantine um, It seems like there was a push uh, by certain forces, uh, whether it's the school parents, whether it's the, um, uh, I don't know, the the Hagwon lobbies. Uh, This Mm -hmm. is just me surmising. But there seemed to have been a push that the school schedules had to be reestablished once again, at least the uh, going physically uh, to classes, Mm -hmm. namely, mainly because of the high school seniors who were preparing for the Sunung. And that seemed to be... The impetus as to why, because once you have millions of kids going to school, you can't, there's no point in uh, having stay at home orders right. anymore. It's impossible. Right. And so uh, that w- seemed like what, what got the ball rolling. Uh, the concern are still uh, clear that uh, the schools are going to be wrestling with this. But mm-hmm. that does not, uh, I, I guess, uh, kind of do away with the fact that high school seniors are under a very stressful time and they feel that uh, it is simply not fair that previous high school seniors have had adequate time to prepare right. for the college entrance exams and to apply for universities. The education ministry is certainly mindful of this. And so uh, I guess they're trying to work out something with the uh, various universities to make sure that these this current crop of high school seniors don't get disadvantaged? That's right. So during a regular briefing session yesterday afternoon, the Education Vice Minister Park Baek-bom, he said that the ministry will announce measures during the month of July that will hopefully offset some of the disruptions that Kosamo high school seniors had to endure because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So let's first hear what the Vice Minister Park Baek-bom said during the briefing. 
학교별로 발표할 계획을 가지고 있는 것으로 그렇게 알고 있습니다. 그래서 그 해당 대학의 발표를 들어봐야 그 내용을 알수 있을 거라고 말씀을 드리겠습니다. So uh, these colleges have their own schedule in terms of when and how they're going to address the issue of mm-hmm. admissions. And so they're going to announce that later. That's what uh, Pag is saying. Uh, so uh, they will have to find out what their plans are. And it's, it's going to be different uh, according to each uh, university. Public That's universities, right. private universities, they're going to have their own uh, policies. And then they're going to try to come up with uh, a scheme, right? Right. The ministry will then come up with a scheme. So the, minist- uh, the vice minister, he didn't ex- elaborate on any details yesterday. Yeah. Um, now, earlier in the day, that is to say yesterday, the Education Minister Yu Eun-hye, she told a local radio station that this year's Sunung, or college entrance exams, will be held on December 3rd as planned unless infections are confirmed during the second semester. Right. And uh, also uh, for kids, uh, my, my kids' age, uh, they are still going to school right now. A lot of them are on a more truncated schedule. But that being said, especially in the metropolitan area, there, there are still a lot of schools that haven't reopened yet, right? That's right. Students at some 520 elementary to high schools, uh, high schools nationwide, they were unable to attend school yesterday due to the coronavirus, with 97% of them being in the Greatest Hall area. And again, it just... Again, I think uh, highlights the fact that uh, culturally uh, and societally here in Korea, things are a little bit different where uh, over the entire kind of uh, span of bending the curve and and combating the coronavirus pandemic, I think Korea has been widely lauded as being very prudent, Mm -hmm. very much uh, aligned with what the science says at the time in terms of reopenings. But with schools, it, it, it again is... I'm going to take the advantage of the U.S. Okay. The, the uh, announcement for a lot of the states was simply right at the outset uh, when they had to deal with this situation seriously. Schools canceled for the entire year. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it you know, caused some concern, especially there was more of a class issue because poor kids uh, relied on the kupsik, the, uh, the, the school, the school lunches yeah. for their only nutritional meal of the day. Right. And there were cases of kids who uh, needed to go to schools for maybe protection in, in more difficult kind of home environments. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was not really that outcome. cry over the educational aspects of Mm -hmm. it uh, overall. And I think here, because of the fact that it's so hyper-competitive and the fact that you have to get into a decent university to have a decent chance at a decent job, to have a decent chance at a decent standing in society for your life, that uh, this is why this one aspect of, I think, our pandemic uh, handling was a little bit rushed. That's right. And uh, coming from as a semi-outsider, it has been very surprising how much that Sunung played a role yeah. in terms of the entire 12 years of the education system and, and included in that is the child care services at the other end. Right. And if we were parents of uh, university-aged kids or high school senior-aged kids, I guess we would be feeling Concerned. a different way about this in terms of uh, the well-being of your students, not just health-wise, but of course uh, with this whole uh, aspect of college admission. So uh, we will we'll continue to uh, see if uh, they're going to be able to kind of maintain this difficult balance between keeping the infection rates low, but also uh, maintaining some kind of regular uh, educational environment. Mm-hmm. That being said, uh, the economic fallout is uh, very much severe as well, especially to the small uh, mom and pops businesses out there. Uh, as, as a freelancer with all the, uh, you know, uh, gobs of money that you've made, have you ever been audited before by the tax agency? Uh, not yet, okay. no. Okay, okay. It's <laughs> always... 
Luckily, no. no. Luckily, no. It's always a scary thing, though. I've heard that, that uh, mm-hmm. if you get audited, uh, you feel like your entire life is going to be flipped upside down. Even the, though you didn't do anything no, wrong. No, exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's almost a random sort of uh, thing where they just decide to look into somebody's yeah. case if something doesn't seem quite right. Uh, the good news for a lot of these small mom and pops is that, um, mindful again of the economic impact of the pandemic, the fewer tax audits will be carried out on small and medium-sized businesses. That's right, and this is all part of the National Tax Services effort. efforts to support the South Korean economy's speedy recovery. So during yesterday's meeting with small and medium-sized enterprises, the head of the Korea National Tax Service, Kim Hyun-jun, he said that the administration will slash the number of tax audits it conducts on small and medium-sized businesses. Kim Hyun-jun further added that if a taxpayer cites COVID-19-related damages and requests to have his or her audit postponed or suspended even, the National Tax Service will try its best to accommodate. And perhaps the uh, signature highlight policy of uh, the uh, government's efforts to uh, stave off the economic fallout from the pandemic has been this uh, emergency uh, relief fund that mm-hmm. was dispersed in the beginning. It was a debate over uh, who should get it. Uh, should it be means tested? Uh, they decided at the end to give it to everybody. And right. uh, at the end of the day, it looks like almost everybody has gotten it, right? That's right. I mean, it's been just a little over a month now since the government began doling out the relief funds. And according to the Economy and Finance Ministry yesterday, a staggering 99.5% of households have now received their aid. Meanwhile, that first supplementary budget, which passed the legislature mid-March, a little over 90% of the 11.7 trillion won budget has been mobilized so far. Hmm. And with regards to the upcoming third extra budget worth 35.3 trillion won, the ministry said it will do its utmost to come up with a detailed execution plan so that at least 75%, three-fourths of the budget can be mobilized within three months of the budget bills passing the parliament. So why is that important? It is because of the timing of these. The, the, the purpose of a supplementary budget is to get it to spend to provide some kind of stimulus effect on the economy. The fact is that the economy is suffering right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps South Korea uh, a little better off than some of the other countries that have been going through this pandemic and ha- having had to gone to a complete lockdown, which Korea has thankfully avoided. Right. That being said, there are still a lot of people suffering. And so uh, if you have to uh, give out a supplementary budget, you have to front load it to mm-hmm. make sure that it provides that stimulus effect. as early as possible. So that is why they're saying to try to spend 35.3 trillion won is not a small amount of change. And so to to try to get that effectively uh, dispersed uh, within the first three months is not going to be an easy task. Right. Okay, so uh, we are going to be uh, leaving the uh, coverage of the COVID-19 pandemic and talk about something that kind of broke in the morning yesterday uh, during our broadcast. But it was North Korea's decision to cut off all lines of communications with South Korea. Uh, The main reason they seem to be citing is their anger over these uh, anti-Pyongyang leaflets. Mm -hmm, That is the surface reason. According to South Korean Defense Ministry spokesperson Choi Hyun-soo, Pyongyang did not answer yesterday's regular morning phone call on the inter-Korean military hotline. Now, this is the first time Pyongyang failed to respond since the military hotline was restored in 2018. A separate morning phone call from the liaison office and a ship-to-ship radio link also went unanswered. Earlier in the day, Pyongyang warned that it would severe all cross-border phone lines by yesterday noon. 
through its central uh, news agency, the communist regime described itself as the enemy and explained that the cutoff was, quote, the first step to completely shut down all contact means with South Korea and get rid of unnecessary things. The uh, debate over the uh, leaflets and whether it's appropriate to send it or not and all of the uh, ensuing uh, arguments over freedom of speech and expression and Mm -hmm. uh, whether uh, this group of North Korean defectors have the right to to send these uh, what are deemed to be very provocative leaflets and include some um, USB uh, chips with kind of very, very kind of provocative videos and Mm -hmm. and audio and uh, and also some uh, cash being dispersed as well uh, with these balloons that are uh, sent over. Uh, This This has been a a long ongoing issue that has uh, really enraged North Korea. Uh, South Korea, even under conservative regimes, uh, have been kind of wrestling with this issue where Mm -hmm. they know that uh, this is provocative enough that it would uh, perhaps provoke some kind of a response from from North Korea. And so people being mindful of that have tried to try to uh, at least kind of discourage uh, these activists from from doing this. Uh, Former unification ministers have indeed come down, and some of them are even being a little bit critical of the current administration for maybe not getting a handle on this uh, early enough. And and what they're basically saying is the the leaflet dispersion thing has to completely stop, right? right? Uh, There's no leeway there. They're saying it has to completely stop right now. So former Unification Minister Lee Jong-seok, he said yesterday that two fundamental Seoul-Pyongyang agreements signed back in 2018, namely the Panmunjom Declaration and the Pyongyang Joint Declaration of September, these two agreements, they both prohibit the distribution of cross-border leaflets. So that goes from both south sending leaflets to north and north sending it down south. Lee Jong-seok, he went on to fault the Moon administration for not adhering to these, quote, precious agreements and for failing to prevent South Korean civic groups from sending the leaflet balloons. Meanwhile, another former unification minister, this time Chong Se-hyun, he said in a radio interview also yesterday Mm. that residents near the cross-border region are very anxious and that the leaflets must be stopped even if it means that the military and police are involved. So... One aspect of it is just simply a, a uh, international binding agreement between two sovereign nations, uh, namely right now South Korea and North Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that military agreement, uh, one of the provisions was that uh, both sides would stop sending that, those kind of propaganda mass- uh, right. messages, including the leaflets. So if you're going to abide by that agreement, uh, this should have stopped uh, uh, back then. Uh, right. But it, it, uh, it has not uh, through various uh, reasons, including the National Assembly failing to pass some kind of legislation specifically addressing this, which is what uh, the current National Assembly is, is going to, to try yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. We're going to discuss this uh, later on in our um, radio salon segment as well. But I think the the last point that you raised with Chung Se-hyun basically citing that the residents of that area who kind of live right near the border and tend to be generally pretty hawkish on North Korean issues, I would say, for Mm -hmm. the most part, they don't want these leaflets being sent either because there have been cases where North Korea has actually fired artillery shells uh, on those balloons as they are coming across. And so if you even just care about the safety and security of those residents, uh, despite what your ideological leaning are, you Mm -hmm. would say uh, the prudent thing to do right now is perhaps to try to uh, convince these activists that uh, maybe they should uh, try to figure out some different tack. Right, and uh, even if the North didn't um, fire anything as a result of the leaflets being sent up North, there have been property damage purely because the balloons have not failed to go over the border. And also there have been cases where uh, the civic groups and 
uh, other civic groups that don't want the balloons to be sent have clashed in the border region, mm-hmm. and that is a lot of nuisance for the people living there. Right. And so, uh, again, uh, there is the uh, idea that uh, regular civilians who have really have no bone in this uh, mm-hmm. fight uh, really end up being the victims of here just because of the fact that their geographic location, their residence happens to be a r a t area that right. these activists are trying to send these lifters. Again, we'll talk about that more during our uh, coverage on uh, Radio Salon at the end of the show. Let's turn to Hong Kong now. Uh, Misorang, uh, they marked a year since the uh, anti-government protests uh, began uh, yesterday uh, on uh, June 9th. This is the, the recent protest, not the, uh, the previous umbrella right, right. Uh, protest that mm-hmm. occurred a couple years back. And the uh, country's police force uh, set to get a pretty significant boost. That's right. So Hong Kong's legislature, they recently passed the country's budget for 2020 to 2021, which included funding for a 7% increase in the police force manpower. This will increase the number of police officers per 100,000 people to 442, which is the highest in 20 years for the country. The Congress also approved a 25% increase in the police force budget, part of which will be used to purchase equipment such as rifles, tear gas and shields used to disperse protesters. Ever since hardliner Chris Tang took over as police chief last November, the Hong Kong police force has switched its response to demonstrators, so it went from one of passive and defensive approach to a more proactive and determined one. This is cited as one of the main reasons why protesters in Hong Kong weren't more aggressive with their demonstrations against the recently passed national security law. One thing then is pretty clear if you're looking at this uh, wider protest movement that uh, started in the U.S. uh, against police brutality, especially mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the U.S. situation, uh, kind of targeting uh, in a racist manner um, black uh, individuals for uh, you know, various uh, petty crimes. Mm-hmm. In, in Hong Kong, they're moving in the op- op- opposite direction where they're actually militarizing their police because yeah. the militarization of the police has become a big controversy in the U.S. Uh, in, mm-hmm. in Hong Kong uh, because of the fact that, if you recall, both the Umbrella Revolution mm-hmm. and then this uh, current... Uh, uh, kind of uh, anger over the uh, various things like an extradition bill Mm -hmm. that a lot of people felt uh, would infringe on the rights of uh, Hong Kong uh, nationals who would just be kind of stripped and taken over to Beijing to face whatever charges that they would face there. Uh, This um, protest movement did get violent, but uh, for the most part, you did see the police kind of try to just be sort of kind of in the way of the protesters, but not not necessarily fire tear tear gas canisters at Mm -hmm. them or beat them with batons uh, until provoked It looks like there will be a much more aggressive forward posture. And the fear is, again, because we saw that the coming and passing of the uh, Tiananmen Square Mm -hmm. uh, anniversary and all this idea of the protesters being subdued. You wonder if there is going to be sort of like a lying in wait and seeing what the um, strategy will be going forward to try to deal with an increased kind of uh, militaristic police presence. Because one thing we've seen in the past is these protesters are definitely not shy and they're they're definitely uh, aggressive enough that uh, they're not going to back down. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, the the fear is going to be then the violence increases and maybe even casualties ensue. That's right. And that's why I I mentioned in the last part there that uh, because of this change to a more proactive and more militarized version of the police, 
the recent protest in regards to the national security law, it was a lot smaller and a lot quieter than many expected. Yeah. So again, is that going to be the trend going forward yeah. or is there going to be another sort of uh, strategy uh, with the, uh, the protest movement there? Well, speaking of the protest movement, in the U.S., it certainly has had a big effect on society. We've had conservatives, including pro- former presidential candidate Mitt Romney, now marching uh, for mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter. And it does seem like there is a bit of a shift in public sentiment as well. Recent polls indicate that uh, President Donald Trump's approval rating and his support rating falling uh, way behind uh, his presumptive opponent, Joe Biden. That's right. So on Monday local time, CNN released the results of its latest poll, which showed Trump's job approval continuing to decline down by seven points in the last month. The poll also showed 55% of the respondents backing the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden, compared to 41% for Trump. In response, Trump posted a series of tweets in which he called the CNN polls, quote, as fake as their reporting, and later added that he hired his own pollster, McLaughlin and Associates. Meanwhile, Trump is looking to resume his mega rallies, the Make America Great Again rallies, within the next fortnight. Yeah, and so... It is pretty uh, funny because he doesn't like the polls and he gets angry when the polls don't kind of show the numbers that he he feels he deserves. And so uh, he had brought his own pollster, this McLaughlin Associates. Widely discredited polls. If you look at 538, they're not considered one of the uh, top tier polls uh, by any means. And so uh, it does feel a little petty to say, look at my pollster saying that uh, I got got better numbers than uh, your uh, fake news uh, CNN polls. Mm -hmm. The political fallout will continue and we'll talk about that uh, coming up very shortly. Bisorang, as always, thank you very much. Appreciate it. We'll uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you.